All right. Welcome back to the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. It's been a few weeks since we've had some special guests on here, but we are glad to be back. So we're in partnership with the Black and Gold Hockey Productions with Mark Oliver Jr. over in Boston. We're here with co-host father and son duo today, uh, Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Andrew, how are you? Because you have COVID right now, but you're almost hopefully through it. How are you? Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. You guys can probably hear the congestion, but the, the fever's been kicked. I've been sick for almost a week now, so hopefully um, I'm almost done there, but I'm just glad that I'm still able to uh, talk hockey today. And we do have a pretty cool guest with us, and we've been trying to dive deeper, Dad, into uh, the European hockey, no matter where it's at in the world over there. And so we're excited to have with us today Zach Sullivan. So hailing from Red Hill, Great Britain, Zach was a standout defenseman as a teenager in the ENL and with his competitive U16 and U18 teams. He quickly became a young semi-pro, signing his first semi-pro contract with the now defunct the EPIHL from 2012 to 2014, while winning the EPIHL Cup in 2014. After his two-year stint, Zach made the jump to the elite EIHL in 2014 and signed with Brayhead Clan, which is now known as the Glasgow Clan, and has been uh, was with this uh, team for about five years. During that time, he was awarded the Young British Player of the Year Award two seasons in a row and winning the conference championship three consecutive years in a row at one time. And, at, and finally now, he has uh, been moved since 2019 to now the Manchester Storm, and we just confirmed off-air that he has just confirmed an extension with the team, so we're not spoiling any news today. Um, but without <laughs> further ado, we're excited to have with us um, I believe one of our first British hockey uh, players uh, here on the show. So Zach Sullivan, how are you doing today, man? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Um, makes me feel old when you list my career like that. But uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm excited to, to come on. So thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I know it sounds like your mother wrote the Wikipedia page for you, but we'd like to kind of get the history in there. So Zach, you're only 27 and what a resume so far you've got for career. So let's start near the beginning. So starting right after your, your U18 days, you signed with the ENL, which is now a different league that we can talk about here in a bit. And then you played in that league for a few years. So what was your experiences like and how would you compare it to, um, and I know you didn't play in a North American league, but how would you compare it to a North American league and compare it to your U18, U16 days? Yeah, so um, let me see if I can remember this. It was so long ago. Um, so when I turned 16, um, I signed back for the senior team back where I started in Invicta. Um, so I was playing under 18s and, um, senior level hockey. And, um, at the time, quite a lot of British guys were, were going abroad to get the ice time that, you know, the, the North American counterparts were getting, you, you guys get on the ice pretty much every day and, um, I managed to find a way to do it back here in in uh, the UK while still doing my qualifications for school. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, I'm not sure kind of what level it would kind of uh, refer to over in the States. I've never played over in the States apart from some tournaments representing uh, Team England. But, um, yeah, it was definitely good for my development. You know, I was on the ice five times a week, which uh, is quite rare over here and, um, I think I've I spent a year there and stepped up to the, as you quite aptly put it, the now defunct EPL. Um, and yeah, I, like I always say when I go on a podcast, I got quite lucky. Um, 
when I signed in Invicta, I was quite lucky that they only had five D-men signed. So I was in that that top six. And then um, there were a lot of things going on behind the scenes when I signed in, in Slough um, originally, which meant, again, I was in the top six. So I was getting regularised time at a, at a level that was higher than before, um, which I'm sure everyone realises how rare it is. Usually you have to go through that uh, kind of bench warming period. Um, and yeah, we won the uh, we won the playoffs in my first year in Slough, and then I went with my coach to to Basingstoke, and uh, I think we won the playoffs again in the cup. Although I might be wrong, um, it is it is about ten years ago. But um, yeah, you know, I've been extremely lucky throughout my career. Every time I've taken that step up, I've I've had a coach who's believed in me, and um, when I went to Brayhead, which is now obviously Glasgow clan. Um, again, I was lucky that I was in that top six, which is is pretty rare when you take your first step into a professional league. You're expecting to be that that kind of seventh, eighth guy that that rolls in every now and again. And I was straight into a top six. I think when I got there, um, Zach Fitch, we'd signed Zach Fitzgerald, um, who I hope your listeners recognise the name. Um, but he was late because of a visa problem. And then one of our other D-men got injured in the first game of preseason. So we were straight down to four D-men. Um, and if you know anything about hockey, you, you can't play with less than four. So it was every other shift um, against Asiago, who were the eventual champions of, of Italy that year. So, um, yeah, the first few games for, for Brayhead, we had 4D and, and my coach had no choice to play me. And fortunately, uh, <laughs> I... Uh, Fortunately, I, I gave a good accounting on myself, I hope. Um, you know, I'm still working with him. He's the GM at Manchester now. So um, got a really good working relationship with him. And yeah, I think it just shows that, you know, regardless of how talented you are or uh, your work ethic, sometimes you need a little bit of luck to, to get to where you want to be. So we always ask this question to all of our, our guests. And this is a little different since it's uh, dealing with UK hockey. What was it like? Because uh, the EPIHL with Slough is a semi-professional league. What was it like to make the transition? First of all, what was it like to sign uh, as a professional hockey player full-time? And then what was the, tra- uh, the uh, transition skill-wise? It must have been a big jump for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, can't, I actually remember... I, I never had any aspirations when I was, I think I was 18 when I signed my contract with, with Brayhead or I think I might've been 20 and um, never had any aspirations to play in the elite league. And then um, I sat down with my coach at the end of the season. He said, what are your plans for next year? And just kind of out of the blue, I said, Oh, I want to see if I'm good enough for the elite league. Um, and I was expecting him to kind of say, well, you know, give it another couple of years and, and work on this and that and the other. And, he just came straight out with, okay, where do you want to go and play? And I was a bit taken aback. Um, we kind of went through the teams together and um, we both kind of highlighted Brayhead as a, an ideal opportunity. Um, they didn't have a British D-man at the time and um, my coach knew the coach in, in Glasgow. So um, he said, give me till, this was on a Wednesday, he said, give me till Friday and I'll get back to you. Um, he phoned me about 6 p.m. on the Wednesday and said, yep, you're signed in Glasgow. Um, so I, I hadn't told my parents, hadn't told my parents that I was going to go live eight, eight hours away from home or anything like that. So 
um, yeah it was it's it was scary to be completely honest um you know when you play in a league I'm sure other guys have said when they've come on here you, you kind of know everyone um so I kind of knew everyone in the EPL and if I changed teams within the league I would have been quite comfortable with two or three guys that I knew on the team but jumping up a league completely I, I genuinely didn't know the first thing about anyone um didn't know if I'd get on with them didn't know if my personality would would kind of fit with a professional setup and yeah it was, it was extremely scary kind of agreeing to that especially so early on in the summer um and yeah like you said like this I remember my first practice we we did a captain's practice and um just kind of did a full eye scrimmage between the guys and every single pass I made was off the tape because every, everyone was just that couple of steps quicker and um I realized very early on that everything is done a second quicker a couple of seconds quicker and if you're if you can't think in time with the game then then you can't play um so I very quickly had to adapt to a much faster pace of hockey um although the the style is quite different the the old EPIHL was more of a European skillful kind of league and uh, the elite league models itself on the North American style so it was more uh, physical for starters um and the size difference was uh, the majority of British guys are around five nine to, to six foot and then you're playing against 14 imports every night and they're all six foot something and you're looking across the, on, on the other blue line when the national anthems are going and you're going oh my god I'm <laughs> um which which happened quite a few times to be fair but um no, it's uh, yeah, it's definitely a big change, and I think quite a lot of people don't understand. Uh, quite a lot of young Brits don't understand that it is a big step up from, you know, you can be tearing up your your junior league or your your semi professional team, but it's a big step up playing professionally, not just on the ice but off the ice. You know, you're you're no longer having your hand held to make sure you go to the gym. You're just expected to go to the gym. Uh, you're expected to eat well. You're expected to act like a professional, and you're expected to turn up and work. Um, so yeah, it was, it was very, very scary when I signed in Brayhead. Um, I did tell my parents before I went, um, just in case anyone was wondering, but yeah, it was scary, but, um, you know, the setup in Glasgow is, it, it was incredibly professional when, when I first went there and it's only, only gone forward in, in how they've, how they've started running the club. So, um, yeah, it was a great place to play for me, especially. Yeah, and so is that going back to the EPL days real quick, just because I feel like that that maybe helped mold you into the young pro that you are now, but you did win some championships in that league during that year. Um, now, I did want to ask the difference. I know that the league isn't no longer here, but I noticed with EIHL, there's different playoffs, championships to win type deal. I noticed, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, sometimes elite prospects is wrong, but it says, I believe in 2014, you were cup champs. And either the same year, one of the other years were also playoff champs. It was either one of the other. So what were the difference between those and what was maybe more important? I would assume the cup, but I never know. So I don't know if you know anything about, I'm, I'm going to call it what we call it, which is football. Um, so I don't know if you know anything about English football, but there's a not too much. There's usually a cup competition that runs runs alongside the league, and um, kind of at the same side, t- same time. 
Um, so in football, obviously, there's there's in this country there's about eight tiers of English football, um, and they all enter into the cup competition. And towards the end of the season, there's a cup final, and and they win the cup. Um, and it's a lot of you know you have you have Manchester United playing against Crawley Town, who are my local team. So one of the biggest teams in the world playing against my local team, and it's it's kind of like the magic of the cup, which is what they call it over here. You can see some of the best players in the world playing against non-league teams. Um, so there's a lot of uh, excitement around the cup, the football cup competitions over here. And um, I think the ice hockey leagues try kind of emulate that in the way that they run their cup competitions. So um, it's kind of like another little trophy that you have the chance to win alongside the league and the playoffs. Um it's, it's strange how it works over here. So the league is kind of like our playoffs. Um, we play in the elite league, we play 54 games. Um, and then the playoffs are four games. So the league is the one everyone wants to win. Um, but then obviously being ice hockey players, NHL playoffs, the Stanley Cup, everyone wants to win the playoffs as well. So those are probably the most two most important. And then the cup kind of, it's an important competition for the fans. And, um, but for, for the players, I think the league and the, the playoffs are the, the two most important. Um, so yeah, when we won the playoffs in, um, in Slough for, at first, um, I, I don't know why, but at the time we were sitting in first place in the league Um and there was a massive budget cut that happened um, around December time. I was I was 17 at the time, so I had no idea what was going on. Um, but yeah, there was a massive bu- budget cut and we, we got rid of two or three of our best players and we dropped down the league standings to, to fourth or fifth. So going into playoffs, we weren't expected to do anything. We were expected to go out in, in the first round and um, yeah, we made it all the way through to the final and then... Um, we found out who we were playing on the bus trip back to, to Slough before we went back up the day after. And it, it was the team that we'd managed to beat every single time we played that season. So everyone kind of visibly relaxed and we were kind of like, okay, we're actually going to win the playoffs this season. Um, and then two years later, when we won it with Basingstoke, um, might, might annoy some people by saying this, but I, I think we had the best team, one of the best teams that's ever been seen in the EPL. And um we missed out on the league by a point or two points. We won the cup. And the fact that we didn't win all three was kind of a, a shock for everyone. So um, that was kind of more expectation to win the playoffs that season. So it was a little bit different between the two times. But um, yeah, both really good memories attached to, to, to all three championship wins in the EPL. Let's talk a little elite league here. Um, so what is it like... Um, in the elite league, and I'm, I'm assuming, uh, again, the players that we've talked to, um, they were imports, so they, they already have that uh, North American thing going for them. But is it a structured team uh, focus or strategy, uh, very much like North America, or would you describe it as, as different? It just seems like most... Um, at least NHL teams over here and AHL teams, it's all built on structure. Uh, what's it like over there? Yeah, so um, 
the majority of elite league teams are are standalone elite league teams. Um, they don't have any affiliates, you know, like the the NHL teams. They have a AHL affiliate and usually an East Coast affiliate as well. Um, there's nothing like that officially going on in the elite league. Um, there are some agreements between clubs that they work together. Um, so we had we had one with Leeds last season, uh, Leeds Knights, who were a new team in the league below us that. If our young guys weren't going to get much ice time on the weekend, we'd we'd send we'd send them to to play in Leeds. Um, but yeah, there's no kind of um, there's no there's there's very very little structure. Um, I think I know what you kind of mean that you can go from the East Coast to the AHL to the NHL, and there's that structure kind of staggered step up. There's nothing like that over here. It's kind of uh, you're good enough or you're not good enough, and if you're good enough, you get a contract. If you're not, you won't. Um, come back in a couple of years and see if you are good enough, um, which I think is possibly why a lot of our young Brits are, are now playing in North America. Um, you know, there's there's quite a few hotspots. I think OHA in in Canada is one, and um, should know this because my best friend went to school. Uh, Northwood Academy in the Boston area um, mm. is another one that quite a few Brits go to. So. I think it's because of that structure in the States and, you know, there's even at the junior level, there's that clear progression part of where you, where you need to go, where you need to be and how to improve to get there. And um, yeah, I think that's definitely something we're missing in this country. Um, you know, we I think for the last four years, we were trying to compete against the likes of USA, Canada and Russia at the, the world championships. And uh, we got relegated this year. So if we want to get back to that level, I think it's something that the the Ice Hockey UK, who are um, organisation, there's something they seriously need to look at. How do how does uh, UK players and the imports work? And I I don't want you to obviously I'm not looking for uh, drama between uh, players, but do you guys mesh together well? Do the imports kind of come in with a maybe we know hockey, we think we know hockey more, or is it the UK players that say, no, this is kind of our game over here. Uh, again, I don't want to pitch against any teammates, but uh, I could imagine there's a little bit of getting used to each other, especially now where the elite league is increasing the number of imports, right? Oop. Andrew, are you with me? I think we might have lost Zach. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, we might have lost Zach here. We'll give him a, a moment. Let me pause this, Andrew. All right, Zach, we're back. So, uh, yeah, imports, UK players. Yeah, I mean, um, you definitely have probably two or three every season that, like you say, kind of come over and, you know, we're American or we're Canadian. We we play this sport every day. Um grew up with it and stuff and um I think they think they kind of know the game better than everyone else which I I guess is fair enough um you know ice hockey isn't as big over here as in North America so um but yeah I think it kind of quickly um they quickly kind of realize that that's not how you're going to get on with your teammates um yeah and uh, usually you have a couple of returning imports um three four returning imports every season so they kind of know how the UK works, how it, you know, that I think um, 
over here if if someone recognizes you on the on the tram or the bus or the train it's uh there's not much privacy involved so uh i think that's kind of a new thing over here you know our our fans are hugely active on twitter which is obviously a great thing for us for kind of pr- trying to promote things and um get the fans on side if if games aren't going away or whatever and yeah there's always there's always a couple that come over and and kind of you know this is how hockey should be played this is this is how it should be and um i think quite a lot of the imports kind of fit in quite well the 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 style of hockey is very similar to what they used to and that probably doesn't help towards that kind of attitude but i think you know the, the majority of my seasons i played all, all the brits and the imports get on um you know we have a we're we're much looser with our language um we've had a couple of conversations with some imports about the use of certain words and how that's completely different to over in the states won't say any on here because i don't think they're suitable but um yeah you know there's it's obviously north america and uh, states and canada and the uk we all speak english which helps for the north americans to settle in a lot quicker and um while we may sp- speak the same language our, our cultures are very different um you know i I can't think of many British hockey players that have any interest in baseball or basketball. Um, you know, we're all kind of football orientated. Quite a few of us um, follow the England cricket team and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, there's definitely a different culture, which takes a little bit of time to to acclimatise. But, you know, the majority of cities, I think every city that there's a elite league team in, um, you know, it's quite a welcoming um, kind of community. Um, especially the fans. The fans are great. They they welcome new guys in and um, always there to help out if they if if guys are feeling a bit homesick or whatever the case may be. So you've been in the elite league for some time now. You've been in Manchester for for some time now. What are some of the things that you think you do really well on defense, and maybe some things that you're still working on? Whether it be puck possession, clear in the front of the net, uh, speed, what, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, well, I, I pride myself on being a defensive defenseman. Um, I know my kind of position is is leaving the game a little bit, especially in North America. Um, you don't see many out and out defensive defensemen in the NHL anymore. Um, but I've always prided myself on on not getting scored on when I'm on the ice. Um, so, yeah, I think that kind of the defensive side of things, um, I very weirdly kind of enjoy it when there's a two-on-one rush coming at me. Um, I'm kind of like, oh, how exciting. I can I can stop a two-on-one. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm, I'm pretty good at the defensive side of things. Um, but obviously being a defensive defenseman, the, the, the offensive side of things, yeah, Throughout my years in the elite league, everyone's taken the, everyone's uh, ridiculed me for my shot, which uh, you know I've been improving on over the last couple of years, and um, isn't quite the poop muffin that everyone used to call it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, you know the the offensive side of things, like knowing, like watching the NHL guys, they it's kind of an instinct, instinctual feeling when when they go down the wall to help in the attack and you know, when they dart through and, and things like that. And, you know, that's something that I've never really had that much confidence doing. Um, 
I think mainly because I'm so defensively orientated. Um, I kind of think of the worst case scenario. So oh, if I go down the wall, but what if we lose the puck? That's going to be an odd man rush the other way. So I kind of, I hesitate to go to, to kind of make the offensive move. Um, but yeah, I, I think my skating's pretty good. Um, I, I have to say that because my parents spent quite a lot of money on skating lessons. When I was <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I pride myself like all, I like I think all defensemen should on on that first pass. Um, you know, breaking out from behind the net that first pass is is key. Um, doesn't matter who you got on the ice if if you can't make that first pass to the forwards to break out. So, um, you know, that's something that I think a lot of young defensemen should should work on as well because it's I think it's underrated. Um, you know, I think Eric Carlson in his year when Senators made it to the conference finals. Um, I think he had something like a hundred points, and and if you probably broke down his points, probably half of those were just from making a simple breakout pass from behind the net. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean it's hugely important, especially for the entire team and the confidence going forwards. Yeah, and so Zach, we're you know you had won the the rookie of the year basically, which is your guys' young British player of the year award. You did it two years in a row. Um, so first of all, what what are the requirements of the young player award if you're able to win basically that that rookie of the year award twice or is there a rookie of the year award separate but how were you able to win it twice and what was your reaction that give you kind of a good confidence boost to say you know what I'm probably gonna do really really well in this league and you know get paid to play hockey for a long time yeah um so I believe that they they discontinued the award after I won it the second time <laughs> of course <laughs> naturally um yeah I mean um you know looking at I I actually got the trophy the first time I won it and looked at some of the names that had won it before me and and they were all team GB mainstays um you know they all played for the national team for for many many years and you know that's I I did play for team GB when we got promoted to the to the world championships but I haven't played again for them since and um you know, that's obviously every athlete's dream to play for their country, represent their country, especially at the very, very highest level. And um, yeah, so I think that kind of, you know, I, I always knew that just because you win something when you're young doesn't mean you're going to make it when you're older. Um, I'm a huge tennis fan and, you know, Wimbledon's on at the moment and the number of times you watch someone you've never heard of and they say, oh, they were Wimbledon young, young Wimbledon champion, but you've never heard of them in the, in the, senior game so um yeah I knew it wasn't I mean it was nice to win um it's nice to win things that's the big thing but uh yeah I knew, I knew there was still work to do um you know when I first went to Glasgow I was overweight um I have no problem saying that now um so fitness was a big thing for me especially in my early years and it's something that I've now got a grip on and I understand that uh, maybe eating packets of crisps and chocolate every day isn't the the right diet for a professional athlete. Um, but yeah, it was it was obviously nice to win and to win it twice. I was the only person to do it, and yeah, I mean, the, I'm not going to comment on the fact that I was one of the only young British players in the league, so there wasn't much competition at the time. But um, <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's obviously something I take a lot of pride in that I won it twice and. Um, you know, for me, I think it shows the caliber of the teammates that I had that 
you know, if I if I wanted to improve on something, all I had to do was go and ask them to spend a bit of time with me, and they they had absolutely no problem doing that. So, um, yeah, I, I always feel that that personal accolades and personal awards are reflective of the teams that you play on. Talk a little bit about your relationship with your goaltenders. And Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong, but we we have one of Manchester's goalies coming on the podcast soon, right? Yeah, James Downey, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, so talk a little bit about uh, the relationship between the defensemen and the goaltenders um, on your team specifically, and uh, how important it is to, uh, you know, are you more listening to the goalie or is the goalie listening to you? Uh, how does it work? Um, I would say when, when Downey comes on, I lived with him last year. So um, when he comes on, ask him if he's been spending any time practicing his pool. His pool? Okay. <laughs> like his, his uh, billiards game, pool game. Oh, uh, cool. Okay. Yeah, because uh, I absolutely demolished him last season. Um, just thought I'd put that out there, considering he's coming on soon. Um, he's out in Australia playing at the moment, I believe. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's doing a pretty good job out there as well. So, But, yeah, the uh, the relationship between defensemen and goalies, it's it's... You know, everyone talks about like line chemistry between the, the three forwards on the ice and, and deep pairings and, and stuff like that. But I think um, I think that's probably the most important relationship that you can have on the ice as a defenseman. And, um, you know, trust both ways. And that's uh, trust that your goalie is going to make the easy save. You know, as a defenseman, you can't always stop the the opposition from taking the shot. But if you can make it an outside shot, confidence that he's going to make that save 99 times, 99% of the time. Um, and confidence that from the goalie towards the defenseman that, you know, you've got the puck behind the net, that's going to be a take-to-take pass and we're going to break out cleanly. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a hugely important relationship, which I think is is undervalued. Um, you know, the our coach next season is Matt Ginn and, with uh, with him and a, and a lot of other goalies, I always felt like if the goalie was talking to you, you're doing something wrong. Um, if the goalie's taking time out of his routine, you know, everyone knows goalies are, are kind of the weird ones. Um, if they're taking time out of their routine between puck drops during the game to, to come and talk to you about something that's happened during the game, you're doing something wrong and something needs to change because you're getting him off his game which isn't good for anyone. Um, so fortunately, Ginner didn't talk to me much when I was on the ice. Um, but then, yeah, you, you have you have different types of goalies as well. So I've, I played for a couple of goalies in Glasgow, in front of a couple of goalies in Glasgow that were very quiet. Um, didn't really say much. They, you know, you'd have the puck behind the net and someone's coming across you and, and silence. Um about the goalies like like Ginner who didn't shut up, <laughs> yeah, didn't stop talking. So um, I've always preferred the goalies that talk too much, um, you know, like man on man on on the wall on the wall or just get it out, ice it, um, whatever it is. And I've always preferred that kind of um, talk. And yeah, I think it's like I said, I think it's the most important um, chemistry on the ice. You know, you can have the top point scoring forwards, but if your D-men don't trust your goalie and your goalie don't trust your D-men, then you're not going to win anything. Um, 
you know, it's that age old saying that offense wins games, but defense wins championships. And uh, your defense starts with your goalie. Um, if you can't trust your goalie to make those saves and and the goalie doesn't trust you to to help him to make those saves, then then nothing's going to work. <laughs> so in the elite league, uh, you play 54 games. So it's uh, compared to North America, it's a uh, lot less games. So how do you guys as a team focus where you can't have a slow start and you really can't have a long slump? How does the coaching staff, the players, how do you guys stay as on top of everything as you can? I think you know what I'm asking. Since you, yeah. you really can't, like I said, can't take the first 10 games and get into it. It's got to be right from the start. And then you're dealing yeah. with injuries. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I've been coached by Finner for the majority of my my elite career. So I'll talk about him, what he used to do to kind of keep that that kind of fresh atmosphere around the dressing room, I guess, like when it goes stale, things go badly very quickly. Um, and, you know, he, he's, he employed a whole load of tactics. Um, his favourite one was to just give us a week off. Um, so we'd play, we usually play Saturday, Sunday, back to back. And um, we'd, we'd get in the dressing room after the game on Sunday and he'd just say, look, don't want to see any of you until Friday. Just go take a week off. Um, you know, he always asked us not to put anything on social media. Um, but he said, you know, you want to go to Spain for a, for a few days. You want to go visit cities in the country, go for it. Um, and I think that really worked. Um, you know, we went through a, a slump when I was with him in Glasgow. We, we took that kind of three, four day break and we came back and we didn't lose for 20 games. Um, so then it, it kind of... Uh, I think I think with COVID, it's with COVID having hit. I think it's kind of less of an issue because I think everyone realizes just how lucky we are to be able to play this sport. Um, so I think it was less of an issue last season. Um, I think across all the sports, uh, across all the leagues, across the world. Um, but yeah, I mean, sometimes we just have a, a fun practice on a Tuesday. We just say, right, let's split the teams up and whoever loses buys the other team lunch and, and things like that, just to keep it fresh and that competitiveness. And um, there's always um, quite a few changes for every team as well. So uh, a fresh face coming in um, as that, again, it adds that competitiveness. Uh, players are fighting for their spots every game and um, someone new to kind of change up the, the team dynamic Um after a month or so, you usually end up going out drinking with the same people and going out for lunch with the same people. So new guy comes in and kind of switches that dynamic up. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's I think it's tough. Um, you know, 54 games in the majority of them are back to back on the weekend. We sometimes play three and three Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, so I think it's tough to kind of keep it. A, a nice atmosphere. I think every now and again, a coach needs to come in and give you a, um, over here, we call it the hairdryer treatment, kind of scream and shout at you and, and say, you know, you're lucky to be here. Let's, let's actually look like we want to be here. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's probably the most difficult thing as a coach to keep that kind of uh, commitment over the course of the season 
Uh, you know, I think everyone goes through that kind of stage where they're low on confidence or they're they're just not happy about something, whether that's uh, bad internet, <laughs> for example. <laughs> um, so you know, I, I think it's I think it's probably one of the most difficult things to deal with as a coach because there's so many different things that can go wrong as a player. You know, I, I got injured towards the end of last season and I missed the last five weeks because I tore my MCL and I was miserable. You know, I didn't want to go to the rink and watch my teammates practice because all I could think about was the fact that I wasn't practicing. Um, so, yeah, it's it's so, so difficult. And I, I think it's with the, let's try and put this in a PC way. Um, with the new generation of hockey players who are a bit less, who have a little bit less mental toughness, um, I think it's an ever-changing kind of minefield for coaches. Um, you know, I don't know if you've watched any of the All or Nothings on Amazon, um, how the professional football coaches deal with their players. And they say, you know, it's different. I've got 25 players and I talk to each of them and treat each of them completely differently. Yeah. Um so it's definitely a, a huge skill, that kind of man management skill. And um, I, I don't envy my coaches at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, two questions here, and then we're going to end with our lightning round questions, which are more quick, fun questions to ask where you'll have to you know, respond quickly. But I do want to ask this. Um, what's the uh, sort of game plan? I understand that with all the leagues, but particularly elite league right now is when all the contract signings are happening and there's a lot of work to do in the off season as far as uh, management is concerned, but how, how do you think that you guys Manchester need to come into next season? Um, And it, it, it appears Belfast was out of control this year, Sheffield uh, strong, but had a second, half of their season was injuries and that hurt them quite a bit. How, how are you guys going to compete with say against Belfast who seem to have, I think they won all three trophies. They two out of three, maybe I don't know. They lost the playoff final to Cardiff, um, which was an incredible game of hockey. Um, But yeah, they, they, they were probably, I, I, so when I was injured, I, I commentated on our home games just to give me something to do. Um, and we played against Belfast. We went five-one down, got it back to five-all, and, and lost in a shoot and lost in overtime, I believe it was. Um, and I just said, you know, I've played in this league for quite a few years, and I have never seen a team as good as that Belfast team. Um, they were just a class apart. They they tore teams apart for fun. Um, you know, they had four lines of solid scoring. They had three solid lines of D men and. And two of the best goaltenders in the league statistically. So, you know, they, they were just probably. I, I, I'm going to go out there with a bold statement and say they're probably the best team that's ever played in this country, um, in a in a league in this country. So, yeah, they they were a class apart. But I, I feel like the big thing we were missing last year is kind of just that sense of belief. Um, you know, yeah, we're we're one of the smaller budget teams, but at the end of the day, it's 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 the game of ice hockey. You know, any team can beat any team on any night. And I just don't think we had that belief. Um, you know, I think we went to Belfast and went, we're going to lose here. Which if you go into a game, in, into any game, thinking that you're going to lose. Um, whereas if we turned up and gone, you know what, this is going to be tough, but these are the games that we want to play. 
um, we would have had a much better chance of, of taking some points off the top, top uh, the top teams in the league. Um, you know, we, we got into a fourth place at one point. We were on a great streak. I think we'd won nine in a row and nobody wanted to play us. And then January hit and we lost 15 out of 16. Um, so, yeah, I think um, with, all, with all sports teams, we've got to believe that you're going to win. Um, you know, obviously winning the league is the goal. Winning the playoffs is another goal. And if you don't set those aspirations high, if you don't demand that, level of commitment and and high aspirations then you're just setting yourself up to fall flat on your face um so i think yeah i think the targets might be slightly different this year um you know i think we're going to aim high and and uh try and achieve them obviously but the higher you aim if you if you fall you're going to fall a little bit higher than if you've been aiming lower so um but i think i think the big thing for us was especially after a bad start to the new year um, we lost four, I think we lost our first five games and uh, we just lost all belief. Um, you know, we had the third top point scorer in the league. We had uh, one of the best goalies in the league. We had a ex-NHL goalie who came in when, when he got injured. We had, you know, top, top players throughout our lineup. We just didn't have any kind of conviction that we were going to win any games and, and that proved to be the case. Um, whereas I think if we'd had that little bit more conviction and, um, you know, for us, we, we had a few refereeing decisions go against us and the usual response to a decision going against you is right, screw this. Let's make sure we get this back. Whereas for us, it was kind of like, ah, here we go again. Um, which was kind of a defeatist attitude, um, which isn't going to get you anywhere in competitive sport. Um, so yeah, I think it starts with that belief and that conviction that that we can beat the top teams uh, because we can. I don't think, I think we beat every single team in the league last season. So um, we can obviously beat them. We can obviously compete with them. Um, we just need to believe that we can do it and do it on a more consistent basis. Who do you think is going to be the, your biggest rival? Who's going to be that fierce rival next year? <laughs> we despise Sheffield. Sheffield despise us. Um, as a player, it's quite funny because the fans go at each other. Um, <laughs> but there's a lot of history. So um, Sheffield are the only Yorkshire team. Manchester are the only Lancashire team. And uh, our civil war, which happened four or five hundreds ago, was Yorkshire against Lancashire. Um, so that gets caught, brought up quite a bit, um, even though it was hundreds of years ago. Um <laughs> But yeah, my first year in Manchester, there was a, a fierce, fierce rivalry between us and them. You know, two, three fights breaking out every game. Um, I think I think another thing is we, we have def- very different visions as a club. Um, you know, Manchester are, are more interested in developing the young British players so that they become British mainstays within the league, whereas Sheffield don't necessarily have the same outlook on that don't want to badmouth them um and you know they they play a very different style to us we play that classical north american style where it's you know the hardest working team wins and i think sheffield have been um guilty of embellishing a few things especially during my time (laughs) in manchester um so yeah, I mean it's it's um, we're 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 just complete opposites. Um, 
So we always have a fierce rivalry. The fans love it. I, I think we're playing them pre-season. It's been announced that we're playing them pre-season. So I'm sure the rivalry will start then. <laughs> um, you know, our, our, our best result, our, our biggest game this last season was uh, we beat Sheffield at home in, in a shootout and the, the crowd were just electric. You know, it's, we don't have the biggest stadium in the rink, but it's kind of got like a tin, tin roof. So the noise echoes through the building. And yeah, it was just absolutely electric. And, and the guys put on, I was injured, unfortunately, but the guys put on a hell of a performance and uh, pulled out a massive result against Sheffield, who were pushing for the league title at the time. So um, we stopped them from winning the league and, and gave ourselves a better chance to make the playoffs. Um, so it was a, a win-win for us and a lose-lose for them. <laughs> All right, before we hit the uh, lightning round here, I do want to make uh, uh, talk a little bit about this, if you're willing. So a few years ago, you made news of uh, coming out with your sexuality, which actually made news over here in North America hockey as well. Um, not to elaborate on it, but that was two years ago, I believe. Um, we're in a day and age where I think people really, you know, is whatever makes you happy, you do. And how's been the support from players, management, and the fans? Um, this was a, um, as we say in America, something heavy to get off your chest, something yep. you claimed, uh, you talked about some mental health issues of, you know, not being able to live how you wanted to live. How has it been the last two years? Yeah, um, I always used to get called grumpy guts because I was always miserable at the rink. So uh, hopefully that's changed over the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me personally, I'm, I was at a stage where I was quite comfortable with who I was. Um, I'd, I'd spoken to my family, I'd spoken to my two best friends at the time, and they accepted me for who I was. They, they didn't, their opinions didn't change of me. And I just kind of thought that if there was a 16 year old as a 16 year old version of me, it would have been so much easier if there was someone in sport in, in my sport who was like me. Um, and that's really why I did it. Um, it was just to kind of help someone else going through the same thing. And hopefully I have fingers crossed. I have, um, because I don't think like exactly, as you said, I don't think someone's sexuality should have any any say on whether someone can play a sport or not. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the support has been the majority uh, really overwhelmingly positive. Um, you know, I spoke publicly with, with Sky Sports about the, the homophobic abuse I received the, the season I came out, um, which obviously was a, a slight downside to, to a mostly positive experience. Um, you know, back uh, two years ago, I couldn't do a podcast like this for an hour. Um, I would be terrified. I'd be anxious. Um, I just wouldn't be able to do it. And now I'm kind of just used to it, um, which I guess kind of comes with the territory with what I did. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's been overwhelmingly positive. Um, I told Finna that my, my coach at the time, Ryan Finnity, the day before and said, look, I'm going to tweet tomorrow. And he said, yeah, great. You, you, hopefully you're going to change the world. And hopefully I have, you know, hopefully there are some young LGBT people out there that didn't think they could play ice hockey before. And now look at 
people like me, people like Luke Prokop and in the AHL and say, actually, yeah, there's a, there's a place for me in hockey. And um, in my opinion, all that matters in sport is your ability level and nothing else. Um, so hopefully, touch wood, uh, we're headed in the right direction. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Andrew, I'll start lightning round. All right, so um, Zach, this could just be a name. Okay. If you've got a short story, you can tell a story that's kind of the time's up to you. All right, here we go. We're going to put you on the spot. Uh, let's go just in your pro career, not, not before that. Uh, the worst locker rooms. Who has the worst locker rooms? Manchester. Our <laughs> 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 oh, home dressing room is really nice. The away dressing room is horrific. Absolutely horrific, uh, to the point where the shower is more of a trickle. <laughs> yeah. Which one had the worst ice conditions? Ah, <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble for this. Um, I would say Guildford. Guildford is uh, they're, they're getting some. They've got some troubles with their roof at the moment, and uh, they've had to cancel quite a few games because rainwater has made potholes in the ice which obviously play ice hockey you kind of need a smooth flat ice surface rather than one with holes in out of all the pro championships that you won which was the hardest game or series that you played um i would say the semi-final of the playoffs when we won with slough we played against guilford um we went 3-0 down and Guildford had been our bogey team all season um, and going 3-0 down to them, they were stacked with top-end players and there was, we came in after the second period and we just went, there's no way we're going to win this. We've, we've had about five shots on net. They've had about 50. Um, and just something clicked in us as a group and we went out and somehow turned it around and ended up winning the game 4-3. So, yeah, probably that game against Guildford in the, in the semi-final playoffs. So, Zach, putting you on the spot, we always like to hear if there's any funny road or away game stories, anything that crazy happened, a bus, bus catch on fire. Do you have anything off the top of your head? I've got to work out what I can and can't say for this one. Um, there was one which was kind of inconvenient for everyone apart from us. Um, when I was in Glasgow, we were due to play a televised game against Sheffield. Um, so we got on our bus at about 8am in the morning, uh, got halfway there and our bus broke down. Um, so we had to get a replacement bus sent from Glasgow, which was four hours away, to pick us up, put our kit on and get to Sheffield, which would have been fine normally. But we were on a designated slot on TV. Um, oh. We ended up turning up about two and a half hours late. And usually teams push the face off back, say, hey, you can have 20 minutes off ice warm up. We'll go on the ice in 40 minutes. But because it was televised, it was you're on the ice in 10 minutes for warm up. So uh, all the planning out the window, everything kind of uh, no kind of normal setup to a game. It was kind of like turning up for an under 10s game. You turn up, put your kit on, go play, go home. Um, I think we actually ended up winning the game as well, um, which uh, kind of turned the title race around. Sheffield ended up winning, but yeah, it was quite funny. Um, and then the only other one that I think I can talk about is I scored my first goal for Glasgow. 
um, as a defensive defenseman doesn't happen very often. And uh, the guys decided it would be hilarious if I shotgunned a warm beer in the dressing room. <laughs> uh, so being a 19-year-old rookie, I didn't think I could say no because I couldn't say no. <laughs> so there I was on, on one knee in the middle of the dressing room shotgunning this beer, um, did it. And then my housemate was sat next to me and he said, you're right. And I was like, no, <laughs> just burp it out. Which, looking back, awful advice. Um, but at the time, didn't know better, so burped it out, which ended up turning into projectile vomiting the beer. <laughs> and it, it kind of, it, it was kind of like an arc. <laughs> it started down here and ended up, like, covering my D partner, who was across from me in the dressing no. room. And just covered him head to toe. <laughs> Uh, which quite a few of the guys from that that season have said it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. So that's uh, that's a good thing. I made them laugh, but um, yeah, that was that was probably the the most PC funny story I have. That's funny. Which player has the ability to get under your skin? Which player every time you play him just gets under your skin? In America, we call it the rat. Who's the rat? <laughs> um. I wouldn't say he's a rat, but for me, it's Jordan Kelso. He plays for the Nottingham Panthers, and I just hate playing against him. Uh, I just, I there's just something about what he does that just riles me up. Um, I think it's probably because I know if he's on the ice and I've got the puck, he's gonna hit me, um, regardless of whether I've got rid of it five seconds ago or whether I'm trying to pull a stupid move. Um, but yeah, I think he's probably, we played in the same league for about five years now, I think. He's a, he's a bit younger than me. And I think he's probably hit me over 300 times. So, you know, <laughs> I, I always say to him in a game, I'm like, can you stop hitting me? Like, it's, it's <laughs> too much. Like, leave me alone. I made the pass. Go and hit that guy. Um, there are obviously a few imports that, uh, that get under my skin, but uh, I kind of, don't really like for me playing in the elite league is the pinnacle of my career um for a lot of the imports especially on on this particular team in um in Yorkshire um they're all kind of on the wind down from their careers and um so I don't really let it get to me um I have been told I'll oh, come back to me when you played in the AHL and my response was yeah but you're playing in the elite league now so good for you yeah so, so um, I know that a generic question, uh, but just to kind of wrap everything up, what has been your favorite hockey memory in your career so far? That's tough. Um, I, I've got a couple. Um, both of them don't really have anything to do with hockey, apart from the fact it was on a hockey rink. Um, the first was when I was, I must've been 16 and we do a conference tournament every year. Um, and my, my, one of my best friends had sadly passed away the year before and he'd always been my captain at Swindon's, uh, conference and, uh, national level. Um, and I was, the, I was picked as captain obviously, cause he had passed away and the closing ceremony we were supposed to walk on stand in our spots and they do the awards and um 
we made a decision as a team to steal one of the juniors hockey sticks and uh, hang his shirt and, and walk around the rink to a, to a standing ovation. So that was, uh, that's probably one of my, my favorite hockey moments just to kind of let everyone, we, we broke the rules, but nobody had the confidence to tell us off for breaking the rules. Um, we talked to our coach before and he was like, yeah, absolutely do it, do whatever you want. So that, that was probably one of them. And then uh, I think the one that tops a lot is the, uh, the game that I played for Manchester the, the day, the day I came out, um, you know, just from, from start to finish the, the response on my Twitter and Instagram um, to turning up at the rink and everyone just kind of being like, yeah, we've we, we got a hockey game to play. It didn't treat me any differently to, uh, to winning the game 2-0 and uh, yeah I mean the, the whole day was you know I'll never forget it and uh, yeah probably those two are pretty hard to beat for me. <laughs> well Zach we, we can't thank you enough uh, and we look forward to following your career and Andrew and I have been now since we've been doing the podcast we've been following UK hockey and um, we'll look forward to following your career, but we'll say goodbye off air, but officially we want to thank you for coming on. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been good fun apart from the, the slight internet issues that we're all having. Yes. <laughs> thank you, Zach, as always. Okay, Andrew, great chat with, with Zach. Yeah, great chat. And, uh, you know, like you kind of said off air, um, I'm sure we're going to get a bunch of messages and people saying, finally, guys, you guys got uh, actual European on or a Great Britain uh, player on finally instead of the imports. So it's, it's good to get Zach on and, and hear some of the stories. Yeah. So this episode uh, obviously is for our UK listeners, which we try to uh, um, keep everybody uh, um, happy in the uh, EIHL. And it's important for um, North American listeners as well, since we do have quite a bit of imports uh, from North America that do play in the UK, uh, like our former guest. But this was uh, great to get somebody that's uh, homegrown in the UK and get his perspective on uh, playing hockey in the UK. Yeah, absolutely. Nice guy, too. Um, and, and like you had mentioned, too, he was one of the, uh, I believe, the first um, – pro player to come out as bisexual so that was a big thing about the sexuality thing that we were talking about and working towards inclusivity for the sport as well so it's always good to carry those good messages in our podcast as well yeah and we're always uh, uh about uh everybody being included in this wonderful game of hockey that we all have that love and passion for and um you know at the end of the day it doesn't matter you know who you are what you know, you want to do and how you want to live your life doesn't impact your, your, your game. Um, and I think we finally hopefully reach that point, even though I'm sure there's fans that will use what they can as leverage to, uh, you know, try to give it to the player verbally, but they really shouldn't do the personal stuff, you know, just like um, if you remember during the NHL, I think it was Carolina fans uh, calling out Pasternak's, uh, son that passed away calling out his name oh you know, wow i mean yeah. meaning yeah. meaning you wouldn't do that out on the street but because they feel they can do that because it's a sport but they really can't so uh, hopefully we get to a point where we can leave out um, players personal lives whether that be you know their lifestyle or their family 
and, uh, you know, just, you know, ridicule them about their playing, tell them they suck as a player, but don't tell them that they're a horrible human being because somebody passed away or you decide to live your life a certain way. Anyway, not to get on our soapbox, Andrew, but we do want to make hockey inclusive to everybody because it is the greatest sport. Yes. And so we are excited um, just to fast forward next week. Um, we will be having, we'll be recording two episodes. Right. Um, and because we have kind of a backlog, finally, we've got a bunch of guests coming up and dad, we, I wanted to make sure we book kind of almost double booked here and there because, uh, you know, we've been kind of slacking on guests. So I wanted to get back in there for fans. So we might next week at some point, maybe on that next Friday, we'll of course release an episode. We won't tell you guys which one it is, but we will announce that we will have, I believe his, his name is Dale Keen. I hope I'm pronouncing yeah. that right, but he is also another fellow Great Britain hockey guy and he was we'll obviously talk to him and get confirmation where he's going to be at next year but has been the assistant uh coach for the coventry plays for quite some time eihl and then we're gonna have uh old school tough guy um emerson clark who used to uh battle yes. spoilers for a season and a half and other age on echl clubs and so um depending on timing and issues We'll see who gets posted next Friday. And then we might do it before that following Friday as well. We might have a two episode special, but if not, those are two upcoming guests, man. And I'm so excited, dad. Yeah. We'll try to keep hockey going here during the non-hockey time. So uh, uh, we'll end it here. We want to thank everybody, particularly the UK listeners. And I didn't know there was such a Sheffield Manchester rivalry. I always knew there was a Sheffield Nottingham. I'm getting the sensation that everybody has rivalries with Sheffield. Yeah, well, it's kind of like the Boston Bruins, right? It's like one of those teams where no matter what, they have that playing style, that that crowd, too, that they have that always ignites a rivalry. But, hey, it makes it a fun, fun game, right? Exactly. All right, we'll leave it here. We want to thank everybody, and we'll, we'll see you all next week. And don't catch COVID. Please stay healthy. Yeah.